Well, church family, if you could uh, meet me in the book of Romans, chapter 4 in your Bibles, love for you to meet me there. We'll get into the text of Scripture soon enough. Before we do so, um, you know, as I was processing this week and saying, man, God, how, how do we speak to the things that we're feeling collectively as a nation? We, we can't as a church, right? Every single Sunday, there are things going on in our week before, even nationally. But then there are certain things that are so compelling and so uh, in the conscious of our people that we've got, to, we've got to speak to them. And we've been preaching through the book of Romans, and I wondered, Lord, do, do I need to pause this and just go somewhere else in Scripture to, to speak to the things that I believe you're doing? And, and what God was reminding me is the passage we're going to look at today is a message of faith. It's a message of walking in the footsteps of faith. And I, as I relate to what we're going through as a, as a nation, I mean, we're parched. Our souls are parched, so we are tired. And in these moments, what we need is to feast upon God's word and to be reminded of the faith he has given us and the footsteps of faith he wants us to walk in. And so I thanked God as I took a step back saying, Lord, thank you for aligning things this way. Thank you that we get to open your word, that we get to get get together on a Sunday to listen, to receive, to interact, to give our worship and praise to God. And so I'm glad it's Sunday today, church. I'm glad that you are watching this live stream because uh, God has a word for his people. Now, before I get into the text, uh, when we talk about matters of justice going on in our society, I often will hear people say, you know, as a preacher, you got to stick to preaching the gospel and not these political matters. I've heard this message, and I want you to know how off that message is because The matters of justice are at the heart of the good news of Jesus. They're at the heart of God. In fact, Isaiah 61, 8, God says, For I, the Lord, love justice. And so God's like, hey, this is close to my heart. And so when we are speaking in these matters, when we are acting in response, we are doing things in accordance with what is close to the heart of God. That's gospel living. I think of 1 John chapter 3, where John says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. You see, the good news of Jesus has so radically changed our lives that we care about the brokenness in our world. In fact, I was even reminded this week, yes, Jesus did die for our sins and hallelujah for that. But he also died for the things that led, the sins that lead to oppression, right? The sins that lead to injustices. And so at the heart of the gospel are matters of justice that are close to God's heart. And on top of that, when when we're told by many to keep keep the church out out of politics, let's remember something. Jesus is going to come back as a king, He's going to come back and reign. 
Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, referring to the Messiah, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So when we long for Jesus' return, we long for a king to come and to walk and work in justice and righteousness. This is what we are called to be about. The, the Apostle Paul says in, in his, one of his epistles, he says, Maranatha. The word Maranatha comes actually from two words that stem from an Aramaic saying, Our Lord, come. And so as we sojourn through this world, we carry these twin struggles in our hands. We know we don't belong here because this earth is not our home. And so we cry, Lord, come. Come and take us. Come, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to come, but I'm delaying my coming. So as long as you're still there, you've got work to do. And so we work, we work, we love indeed while we say Maranatha. And so we continue to go and speak against injustice to advocate for the poor and the oppressed and love with the good news of Jesus preaching the gospel. And as we do so, we say, Lord, Maranatha, come, Lord. And this week I've been feeling that. Lord, just come, please. But you haven't come yet, which means you've got us here for a reason. Let us be about your work. So church, as we carry the burdens of this week, and even as we think about the riots, even the riots in Chicago, yes, we must hate these riots, but let's even hate more what started the riots. And that was the killing of a man held down by a, knee on his neck for almost 10 minutes, unable to breathe, even when he did not resist arrest. Church, this is what God has made us for, to be bearers of the good news of Jesus and to be those who advocate for the things that are close to the heart of God. And so I'm thankful it's Sunday morning, and I'm thankful you're watching with us, and I pray that God would fill your heart and give you a vision for what he wants you and I to do as a church in the midst of the pains of our world. We know quickly, by all that's taking place, that things aren't right. It ain't right. But there is a way for things to get right. There is a way that God has provided for people broken as we are to get in right relationship with God. And that way is called faith. Today we're going to take a look at how to walk in right relationship with God. And at different times, I'm going to relay that to what we're going through as a, as a country, as a city, as a church right now. But I want us to understand that God wants us to walk with him. He wants us to pursue him in faith. Last week, we heard an amazing sermon from our brother, Carrie uh, Weiss, who is a pastoral resident at the Brook. Carrie tore it up, right, y'all? And I'm sure you're saying yes, even though I can't hear you. Uh, what, what Carrie did last week and what our brother Joshua Sud did the week before was show us from Romans how the situation in our human heart is bad, but how God's got a plan that is good. And today we're going to continue to look at the outworking of that plan. And before I get into that, actually one other thing I want to say. Um, if you've noticed, I've been off of preaching the past three weeks. And I just want to give a great shout out and thanks to the three sisters who brought God's word on Mother's Day to Joshua Su two weeks ago and Carrie last Sunday. For me as a pastor, to be able to sit under the teachings of other people um, is, a, is a blessing to me. 
And so I've been able to get my cup refilled and restored. I know I needed it. And today I want to give you God's word for Romans chapter 4. Would you turn your Bibles there with me as I read the opening 12 verses, even though I'll be preaching the entire chapter today. And wherever you're at, would you stand to your feet with me as we revere God's word and hear from him? Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. Can you say believed God wherever you're at? And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then here, Paul quotes Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, saying, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and those uh, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Amen to that. Verse 9. But is this blessing then only for the circumcised, the Jews, or also for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles? For we say, notice that, that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness, righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Notice this. The purpose was to make him the father of all. Can you say all? Of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is God's word. You may be seated. Now, I recognize there is a lot of technical language and some pre-understanding that goes behind these these words we just read, and I hope that we can unpack them and get to understand what God's plan has been for us to get in right relationship with him. Basically, this is how it's going down. Uh, last week, we saw that God is basically saying, hey, look, I have provided a way for people to be in relationship with me, and the way to do that is not by keeping the law, but by believing in my son Jesus through faith. And that's what we saw in last week's passage. And this week, the Apostle Paul is like, all right, let, let, me, let me unpack that for you. Because he wants to make clear that this has always been God's strategy. God has always taken broken people like you and broken people like me and made us right with him through faith, not by good works. And so in order to get this point across, Paul's like, let's take the example of Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. 
He was one whom God had called from a distant land, saying, Come to what is now Israel, sojourn in this land, and when you are there, God gives him a promise to make his descendants, his ancestors, as great as the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed God. And from him comes Isaac, his son, and then Jacob, Isaac's son, and from Jacob, He had 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel, and the Jewish people were born. And in that, of course, also is the Jewish faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Paul's like, let me tell you how God saved Father Abraham from his sins, because the way he saved Abraham is the way he's always been saving people and the way he can save you. That's the message you and I need to hear today. Paul goes on in verse 1 and 2. He's saying, what did Abraham gain then? How did he get in right standing with God? And then he says in verse 2, if Abraham was justified or declared right before God, if that happened by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does it say in Scripture that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Look, this is, this is what Paul is saying, church. He's saying, Abraham came into relationship with God not based on the things that he did, but based upon the God that he believed. You and I need to understand that because in our human hearts is a desire and longing to feel like we earned something, in particular, earned our relationship with God. And this is actually a dangerous thing. Because what happens is, if we are saved from our sin, all the evil in our hearts, by good works... Paul's like, then we got something to brag about. We can say, look what I earned, look what I did, and now we're getting the praise and God is not. But what Paul's making clear is that's not the way Abraham was saved, and that's not the way anybody is saved. He says, in fact, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham put his faith in God. And that's how God's righteousness was declared to him. And that's how Abraham got in relationship with God. And then he uses this illustration, which I love. He talks about a worker who gets his wage. I mean, just imagine this. You put in a 60-hour work week. You've been working your tail off all week, blood, sweat, and tears. And on Thursday, your boss is like, hey, look, tomorrow's Friday. I got a gift for you. I've got a beautiful surprise for you. So you're at home Thursday, you're like, hey, man, I'm pretty excited about this. Boss says he's got a surprise for me. You know, you get into work the next day, you put another hard day of work. The end of the day comes, your boss approaches you giddy and excited. And the boss is like, hey, gives you an envelope. Hey, hey, I got this gift for you. And you open this thing up, and inside of that envelope is your paycheck. If you're like me, I'm going to look at that paycheck and be like, this is no gift. I earned that thing by working these past 60 hours. Why are you smiling, uh, boss? Why, why are you all happy giving me what I myself had earned by my own work? See, in that moment, you take pride in the work you've done, and you receive the wage of that work. What Paul is saying here in verse 4 is that when you work, you receive what is due for the work you've done. If we apply that same methodology to our relationship with God, it falls short. Because we saw in Romans 3.23 that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
which means that no matter how hard you and I work, in this envelope at the end of our lives spells death and doom. That there is not eternal life in an envelope from a, a, a lifetime of work. There is damnation because we've fallen short of God's glory. And so what Paul makes clear here is that Abraham did not get right with God by what he did. But instead, verse 5, he believed. And because of his faith, he was declared or counted as righteous before God. This is liberating news for you and I. This is liberating news for our nation that is broken. Because we cannot become unbroken by our own efforts. We need God. We need Jesus' forgiveness, and we need God's redemption. Paul quotes uh, uh, Psalm 32 here to drive this point home, saying even King David understood that blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven, not based on anything that they've done. But here's the, here's the kicker, fam. Because in verse 9, Paul's like, okay, then what's the deal, though? Because Abraham is the father of the Jewish people, and Abraham was given this sign called circumcision. Now, it's really weird, right, talking about circumcision in church, right? Like, like why are we talking about men being circumcised? And what circumcision is, the removal of the foreskin, and what it was, though, for God's people, a sign of the fact that they believed in the God of Israel. And it might sound really weird to us, like, why would God choose that? But when we realize that the nations around Israel, the Egyptians, the Philistines, and throughout, those peoples were not circumcised. So God's like, I'm going to make it very clear that my people are different from those people, and I want to make clear that my people understand who they are, and in order to do so, that sign I'm giving to them is circumcision. And the first person that God told this to was Abraham. And from that point forward, Abraham's descendants were supposed to be, their, their, their men were supposed to be circumcised. But what happened in the Jewish faith is that people began to realize, or think, I should say, that this sign of circumcision was how they became in good standing with God. And so notice what's going on here. Circumcision essentially is a work. It is not faith. It is a work. And so Paul's like, look, when we start thinking that this work gets us right with God, we're in trouble. Not only is there, are we in trouble, but then all who are not circumcised are also in trouble because then they can't get right with God. Let, let, let me say it this way. Paul is basically saying this. Is God a God who saves only the Jewish people, or is he also the God who saves people who are not Jewish? And so there, this is why he says in verse 10, he says, how then was it counted to Abraham as righteousness? Was it before or after he had been circumcised. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received this sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. Paul's like, look, Abraham had faith and was declared right long before God told him to get circumcised. And so that happened so that all of us who believe in faith in God can also be declared right without having to do a good work. This is mind-blowing. This is a beautiful thing that God has allowed. Now, when I look at our present struggles in our nation, this actually relates to the struggle that Paul is addressing here. Because Paul realizes that in the minds of many, there are two distinct groups of people. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. And in our nation, 
there are the same kinds of ethnic divides, racial divides. And what happens is people in our own ethnicities tend to think that we are better than others. And what happens in that wickedness of our hearts, we start uh, uh, portraying this in our actions, in our thoughts, in our words. And that is called racism. That is a sin and an evil. It's an affront against God and those who are made in God's image. And what Paul is saying here is like this kind of understanding that God is a God only for the Jews is also an affront against God's plan. God is not just God of the Jewish people, but he's the God of all people. And when we ourselves as humans start prioritizing the needs of our own ethnicity or abuse others because they're not like us, we also are falling into the same sinful patterns that Paul is addressing here. It's an affront against the imago Dei, the image of God. Racism creates divisions that grieve the heart of God. You see, we as peoples are to see that we are unique, right? This, this concept, this idea of being colorblind is not God's design, church. Because if God wanted us colorblind, he would have made us monolithic. He would have made us all one race or ethnicity. But he has not done so because he wants us to understand that we can see color and we can celebrate color. That we can look at people's different lived experiences and say, that's not my story. Can I enter into yours and understand you? These are the kinds of things that are close to the heart of God because God is a God for all people. You know, in fact, Ephesians 2, Paul goes so far as saying that there was a wall, a hostile wall that divided the Jews and the Gentiles and that Jesus came to tear that down. Not to mesh people so as we lose our identity, but to bring us all and create one people with our diversity within. This is what Paul is saying that God has made available through faith, and that's what Abraham experienced was faith and a a right relationship with God. Look at verse 12. God did this to make Abraham the father of the circumcised, who are not merely uh, uh, circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham. What God wants us to do to get in right relationship with him is to believe him in faith and to walk in the same footsteps that Abraham walked. I, I love this concept, this idea of footsteps. It, it, it conveys walking, right? Faith isn't stagnant or stationary. Faith is in motion and has movement. Faith is dynamic. You know, when it snows here in Chicago and we get a significant snowfall, and before people are able to go out and shovel, and someone walks through the snow and you come behind them, if you are like me, and I think this is what most of us do, we try to step into those same footsteps, don't we? Because we know if we don't do so, we're going to be creating our own path. We're going to get just as much snow on our shoes. We're going to get wet. It's going to be more difficult and uncomfortable. But when we walk in footsteps that have already been paved for us, we can see more clearly a a, a pathway that leads in the right way. And what Paul is saying here What God wants us to understand is that Abraham has laid out these footsteps for us. You see, I'm also severely flat-footed. I've got like flat feet, and my family makes fun of me all the time, especially when we're at the beach. 
Because my footsteps in the sand look like just these, these ovals. There's no shape or form to it. I'm like a hobbit, all right? I tell you, there are no arches. And it's, 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 it's actually quite funny because I'm like, man, my feet look horrible. My footsteps are horrible. But one thing is true is that my footsteps are also undeniable. They're easy to spot. And what, what God wants us to understand is footsteps of faith are the kinds of things we're supposed to walk in, and Abraham has actually made them quite easy to spot. He has laid out for us what it means to believe upon God. And so what I want to show you just real briefly are five ways that Abraham has showed us the footsteps of faith. You're like, what, was that the intro to the sermon? Kind of, right? So, but I want you to see what walking in faith is like, because if we don't walk in faith, then we're trying to be saved by works, by following God's law. And look what it says in chapter 4, verse 15. The law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. It's like this. Whenever God set up his law, he showed not only his good ways, but how bad our bad ways are. And we break God's law. And if that law wasn't there, we wouldn't be able to see how messed up we are. But God's law is there. It is written in his word and is written in our hearts. One other thing. This is why we feel and see, and when we see this injustice of George George Floyd's killing, it rises up in our hearts this, this anger because in our hearts God wrote his law and we saw that that was transgressed in that moment. And so what God is like, look, I've got a law and all of you break it. And the only way to get right with me is by faith. And this is what Abraham did. First off, we see in in verse 16, faith believes God's promises. That's the first thing. Faith believes God's promises. You see, that's why it depends on faith, verse 16 says. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. God promised to Abraham that his descendants would be like a multitude. And Abraham at that moment had a choice to believe God's promise, or to doubt it. In faith, he believed God's promise. When we are struggling with faith, we need to run to God's promises and hold on to them like Abraham did. So first, faith is faith when it believes God's promises. Secondly, we learn from Abraham that his faith teaches that faith believes that God can do the impossible. Look at verse 17. He says, as, is it, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, talking to Abraham, in the presence of God in whom Abraham believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. You see, Abraham believed that God could do the impossible. That's, that's what faith is like. And for, in fact, God's, uh, Abraham's faith was such that he believed God could do the impossible because the impossible was right in front of him. So the third thing we see is that faith believes when there's no reason, when there's reason to not believe. Uh, Let me say that again. Faith, true faith believes even when we feel like there is reason to not believe. Now, what were the reasons Abraham had to not believe that God would give him descendants like the stars in the sky? Well, I love how Paul says it here, all right? He says in verse 18, in hope he believed against hope. Or as the New Living Translation says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. He did this because he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, 
which was as good as dead. I mean, notice that. Paul's like, Abraham was so old, he was as good as dead. He was 100 years old. I mean, I crack up at that. But Abraham himself realized, like, look, I'm 100 years old. I've got no kids, yet God has given me this promise. But Abraham believed when there was no reason, when there was reason, I'm sorry, to not believe. He was 100 years old, and on top of that, he says, when he considered even the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Abraham was 100 years old, his wife was barren, and yet they still believed God. Remarkable. We see, first, Abraham believes God's promises. That's what faith is. Faith believes, secondly, that God can do the impossible. Third, faith believes when there is reason to not. And then fourth, faith believes that God's word is true. I mean, notice what it says here of Abraham in verse, verse uh, 19. He did not weaken in faith, which he considered when he considered his own body. I'm sorry, verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. He took God at his word. He took God at his word. He believed God's word to be true. When our faith is weakening, we must hold on to the fact that God's word is true. Fifthly, faith strengthens as it gives God glory. This is a hard thing to do when we're lamenting, right? How do we give God glory when we are seeing his glory, his his image bearers killed? How do we give God glory when we see our city tore up? How do we give God glory when we are struggling? Well, the way that Abraham gave God glory, according to verse 20, says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave God glory. The way Abraham gave God glory was he continued to live and follow him, holding on to the promise. In fact, in Hebrews 11, and and this is important for us, Abraham also believed that this earth was not his home. So he gave God glory walking through these difficult lands, having his eyes set on a better land. Hebrews 11 says, the people of faith, the, the, the Old Testament saints, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised. And seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Abraham is mentioned among them. It says that they desired a better country. You see, Abraham, at different times, was up against the wall in his life, but maintained his faith. Abraham realized that this earth was not his home, so he did not lose heart. I think this is an important truth for the church to understand right now, family. You and I should not feel at home on this earth right now. You and I should feel a good deal of angst because our citizenship is in heaven and we are, as Hebrews 11 says, strangers and exiles on earth. That's important for us because what happens, I think, to the church, in particular the church in America, 
We've become so consumed with trying to be comfortable in this nation that we have not allowed ourselves to experience the discomfort of a sinful world we live in. We should not feel at home in our nation as great of a nation as it is because it is not a perfect nation. It has many evils and many sins that should cause us to feel like we're longing for heaven. We should not feel at home in any political party, church. We we should not feel like this party fully represents me as a believer because every party is broken. Just because someone is black doesn't mean they should vote Democrat, as, as some were told this past week. And just because some are white evangelicals doesn't mean you should vote Republican. I I need us to understand that neither the Democratic Party or the Republican Party represent the church's full convictions. And the more we try to align ourselves with parties, we are unaligning ourselves with our true homeland, church. And I just say we got to be weary of that. Because if you are in a party and you say, this represents me fully, I think you're missing it. There is racism in both parties. There is injustice in both parties. There is greed in both parties. There is power at the expense of the poor in both parties because both parties are in this broken world. You and I don't belong in this earth. We are called to set our eyes on heaven but give God glory as we walk this earth like Abraham did. That's the fifth thing what faith looks like. It looks like getting strengthened as we set our eyes on God and giving him glory. And the sixth thing, and I'll end this very soon here, that faith we learn from Abraham without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Now this is important for us, church, because when people tell us we should preach the gospel and not do justice, they're essentially saying preach faith but no works. I'm not preaching salvation by works. I'm saying salvation by faith produces works, church. In fact, James says this in chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? I'm not asking the question. God is asking it through James. Can that, say, that, can that faith save him? That's a rhetorical question saying No. Faith that does not produce works is not true faith. In verse 15 in James 2, and I know I'm saying a lot here, but I've got to get this out. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that, James writes? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Church. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, Ephesians 2.10, though we are saved by grace through faith. This is the anatomy of faith, church. And this is how we walk in this broken world. We believe God's promises. We believe God could do the impossible. We believe even when it feels like there's no reason to. We believe God's word is true. We believe and give God glory as we walk, and we believe with a faith that produces works. That's the example we find in Abraham. I'm going to wrap up with this last point here. Paul goes on to say in verses 22 to 25, this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. 
But the words it, righteousness, was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. Can I get an amen here? But for ours also. It will be, righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What Paul is saying here is, yes, this is the faith of Abraham, but the way the faith of Abraham looks now is to place that faith in Jesus who died on the cross for our racism, who died on the cross for our greed, who died on the cross for our pride, who died on the cross for our wickedness, and for every sin that is in all of our hearts. Jesus died for that. And when we believe he died for our sin, went to the tomb where we deserve to be buried, and rose to life, we too can be declared right before God, where Jesus' righteousness is imputed or reckoned or counted or given to us, and our sin was given to him. This is faith that we are called to walk in. These are the footsteps. If you do not know Jesus today, I plead with you to look to him for the forgiveness of your sins, to believe he went to the cross for you, to believe that he rose from the dead for you, and then experience the new life he offers you. That's what Chicago needs. That's what America needs. And then with that hope, to walk in it. Just before quarantine, I took my clothes to the dry cleaners. And whenever I have a white shirt, it gets pretty dirty when I wear it often. This is how my collar shirts work. And I have our, our, our uh, dry cleaner that we go to all the time. And there is Ali, the guy who serves us and takes care of us. Great brother, great guy. One day Ali's like, look, you know, Eric, this shirt of yours is pretty dirty. And you asked me to dry clean it. But I want you to know that there's also something called laundering, which is different than dry cleaning. And I was like, you know, I've heard that, but, but tell me about this. He says, laundering actually gets much more deeper to get the stains out. He says, laundering gets to the oils that your body produces because around your collar, there is a cloth in there. And when you launder something, you're more likely to get that grease out as opposed to when you dry clean it. I was like, that sounds good to me. Go ahead and launder it. So he went ahead and laundered it. I know he worked hard at getting that shirt clean. And after it's laundered, it is then pressed and given out crisp clean, right? He gave it to me. I went home, and when I looked at my shirt, there was a tag on it. And it said this. This shirt, uh, the stains on this shirt are unable to be removed even by laundering. I was like, man, I am greasy, right? Um, And I came to the realization, like, this shirt has reached its cleansing limits. This this shirt, no matter how hard this guy Ali, who is good at what he does, worked, he could not get the stain out of my shirt. Church family, faith in Jesus is better than dry cleaning. Faith in Jesus is better than laundering. Because your sin never reaches its cleansing limits. Jesus Christ went to that cross to save you and me by faith in him. And when we do so, no matter how stained our souls are, he can get into that thing and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, as 1 John 1, 9 tells us. And so that is the hope we have when we walk by faith. We do not reach our limits because God's Grace extends beyond. Abraham shows us the footsteps of faith. 
This faith is offered to everybody, but it's only applied to you who believe. My prayer is that you would believe on God today to experience his newness. If you already know Jesus, that you would believe upon him to experience his renewal. And as we go out in our broken world, we can say, God, my eyes are set on heaven. I'm going to work for your glory so long as I'm here. And as I work and as I plead for righteousness and justice, I will cry, Maranatha, Lord, come. Lord, come. Father in heaven, we just come with our hearts pleading to you. Our hearts bleeding before you. And where injustice reigns, we pray you would subvert that. We pray, God, for healing in the hearts of many. We pray that you would heal the wounds in our black communities, that they would feel your nearness and love, that they would understand faith in Jesus. We pray for healing in the white communities, for those who don't know what to do, they're so discouraged. God, you made them white, and they are made in your image, and their culture has beautiful things in it. And Lord, there's also stories in our nation that are grievous. And I pray for my white brothers and sisters that they would run to you and find hope and healing as well. And that they would also know and learn how to advocate against racism. God, we pray for our police officers, many who are overwhelmed because many took on that badge because they cared about justice. And I pray that you would encourage them, Lord, as they continue to serve and protect. God, I pray you would remove the wicked officers from forces throughout our nation. For those who have just countless complaints against them and it's flown under the radar, God, I pray that those complaints would finally reach ahead and they would be taken off the streets if there are wicked officers. God, we pray that our land would understand how to plead the cause of others and that we would learn to empathize instead of trying to defend ourselves, that we would learn to, to, to grieve with those who grieve, to mourn with those who mourn, God. I pray that we would stop defending the wrong things and start loving righteousness like you do. Help us, God, be these kinds of people. We love you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Father God, you are an anchor. You hold us down when we feel like the ground beneath us is shaking. And so we place ourselves in your hands and rest in you. Oh, God, bring healing in our nation, in our land, in our hearts, and unite us as a church around your good news. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Before I say dismiss, family, I want to just let you know that as a church, uh, we can't wait to reopen. Um, there, are, there are various uh, things that we're trying to consider. We know that this past week, uh, our state issued a kind of guidelines for, for church services to begin, and we, uh, we're looking forward to that. But we also, we also want to make sure we're being wise. And for us, uh, this is an ongoing conversation among our leadership. We are a church of over 200 plus people, and our sanctuary is not that big. And so we don't want to open too quickly and put people in danger. But we are, we are uh, thinking through different ways that include multiple services. But in order to do that, there's a lot of preparation we're trying to work through in terms of getting equipped the right way. So uh, please do bear with us. And we also uh, just 
Also ask for your prayers that God would give us wisdom and guidance on, on how to do that. We don't want to be too, too soon, you know, like it, it, we don't want to put people in danger. But we also know we don't want this to drag on too long because our hearts are longing, right, for the community to be together. And so uh, we, we have this as a great burden. We are eager for it. So I just want you to know that's on the forefront of our minds. Um, thank you all for just your, your persistence to continue to follow Jesus because this past, uh, these past four months, without our gatherings, it's been extremely difficult to stay connected. So I praise God for you and your persistence. Um, the Spirit of God is at work in this church. He is at work. Well, I want to leave you with this blessing. Remember that the Lord your God is with you, and he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. God bless you, church family. I love you, we love you, and we look forward to seeing you again. Have a great week. Blessings.